Hi, everyone, and welcome to Procure Pulse, the third-party services podcast that provides you with current trends, best practices, and the latest supply chain news to help you stay informed. I'm Mickey Meehan, your host today. I invite you to email us with questions at info or connect with us on LinkedIn by following Conductive or on Twitter at Conductive Inc. Thanks so much for joining us today. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Mickey Meehan, the Chief Operating Officer at Conductive. And today we're going to discuss artificial intelligence in healthcare and specifically how it can have a, an impact on purchase services optimization within your health system. I'm joined by two awesome guests today, Chris Gormley, the CEO of Conductive, and Daniel Bishop, a senior machine learning engineer. Just to start off, we'd love to get both your backgrounds. So maybe, Chris, you could kick us off and just tell us a little bit about your, uh, your experiences and, uh, and how that has uh, had an impact with artificial intelligence. Thanks, Mickey. Well, first of all, my name is Chris Gormley. I am the CEO of Conductive and also the CEO of our GPO called Conductive Contracts. And I'm also a vice president at Premier Inc. Premier acquired Conductive in 2019. So before that, I was the CEO of MedPricer. My background as it pertains to both supply chain and artificial intelligence is the following. So I uh, originally went to school uh, at uh, Worcester Polytechnic Institute, got a degree in chemical engineering, later went to the Wharton School, got an MBA there. And I worked at McKinsey and Company in supply chain. And so that was my first experience in supply chain. That brought me to a company called Free Markets, which uh, was a pioneer in the late 90s in electronic sourcing. I was the head of a VP of product management there where I created many of the different SaaS-based platforms that we experience today. We were acquired by Ariba in 2004. Following that, I, uh, I was the head of business development and uh, product, um, products at uh, Haley Systems, which applied natural language processing and artificial intelligence to business rules. And we embedded that into various systems, including Siebel Systems, which is an old CRM provider. And, uh, and then following that, I worked in um, healthcare, at GE Healthcare, uh, digitizing anatomic pathology images and also applying um, images, uh, artificial intelligence to diagnosing images uh, that were once digitized uh, from a physical slide. And then of course, that led me to MedPricer and then in turn Conductive. So I'm happy to be here and eager to talk about AI as it pertains to purchase services. Thanks, Chris. Looking forward to the discussion today for sure. Uh, Daniel, same thing. Just love to hear a little bit about your experiences with artificial intelligence and kind of how your career has progressed uh, from that end. Absolutely. And thank you, Mickey. Uh, so I started at the University of Florida as an undergrad in linguistics, which is generally speaking, not the uh, direct route toward a machine learning type role. But I went for grad school to the end, uh, excuse me, to Indiana University in Bloomington. And there I picked up a, another linguistics degree with a specialization in computational linguistics. After that, it was off to general dynamics, uh, where I was working on some national security related things. And after that moved out to California, where I started working for a few companies such as after school, a, a social network for teens in high school where I was working on some AI powered initiatives uh, to filter out cyberbullying, to detect self-harm threats um, and the like. 
After that, I was working for Automotive Mastermind, helping parse out a lot of the information that clients or uh, salespeople at car dealerships are going to be leaving sort of about one or, or the other to help figure out when the exact right time is to make the sale. Uh, moving a little bit farther past then, I ended up working for a company called Alpha Now Feedback Loop, which was involved in the space of uh, rapid consumer insights and research. Again, helping both make some of these surveys that would go out uh, to folks, as well as parsing the results that came in, filtering for uh, those that are trying to game the system, trying to find the most useful output, and so on. Uh, and I am also working with uh, Interos Inc. these days uh, as a senior machine learning engineer, helping parse from news articles uh, whether or not they are about important events and who are affected by those events. That's awesome. I think uh, everyone can see we've got two great guests today to, to discuss this hot topic. You, you can't go to a software company's website or, or hear a consultant talk without the word artificial intelligence, AI, and machine learning, NLP, whatever it is. You can't go to any of those places without hearing that come up. So maybe we start from the basics. And, and Daniel, as a machine learning engineer, would love to hear from your perspective. What is artificial intelligence in simple terms? And how does that differentiate from machine learning? That's a really good question with, unfortunately, a fairly vague answer. Uh, let's start with machine learning. So machine learning, I would say, is a bit more of a defined uh, term. You are going to be, and it sounds a little silly to say this, machines to try and learn to accomplish a goal. Uh, that could be something as simple as very old school techniques like logistic regression, where you're going to basically take a bunch of data points and try and plot a line to them. Uh, there are a lot of famous toy examples like looking at sales price of houses versus the number of rooms in them and and location and, and so on, where you can try and figure out how much a house might sell for. Uh, then there are significantly more modern and more complex techniques, and this is where we get into neural networks, uh, which are accomplishing absolutely amazing things these days from reducing noise on calls to identifying skin cancers from slides, which we're probably going to talk about in just a little bit here. Uh, but as all of that relates to AI, AI is artificial intelligence. It is what a person is not having to do, basically. And so machine learning is absolutely a large piece of the AI puzzle, but AI can be all the way down to rules-based systems, or it can be uh, modern neural networks and really everything in between. But as long as it's not a person having to make decisions, a person having to do the specific piece of work, I think that's really what we can call AI. I have to say, Daniel, for an engineer, that was a very layman's answer, which I appreciate because that's that's rare to get uh, coming from an engineer. Uh, but Chris, anything you'd, you'd want to add to that uh, definition? Hey, I used to be an engineer. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, I tend to view the, you know, you hear all the buzzwords and whatnot. And if I was to have a, a, a sort of a triangle, AI is at the top, right? It's a general purpose term that says making machines do things that humans can do, <laughs> inferential and sort of deductive logic. 
underneath it, there are multiple sort of areas of, of artificial intelligence that's applied. So you have your machine learning, get your neural networks, you have natural language processing, you have some of these different disciplines that exist underneath it. And so I think many times people confuse one for the other. And most of the applications that you see out there, at least from what I've seen, are more machine learning in nature as opposed to some of the other more esoteric things. And so when um, I, I think about it, one of the companies that I mentioned earlier, Haley Systems, kind of grew out of the earlier AI activities that were more expert systems. And an expert system was, how do you take what humans know and try to put it into a more of a rules-based structure, which was very brittle? In other words, if one of the rules changed, your, your whole logic tree would break apart. And what, what you're seeing today is systems and machines that are much uh, better at um, building in uh, the knowledge that's needed to not have as much, let's say, training data that's required or to be able to put together the logic and keep it uh, fresh and to learn from what it's seeing over time. So therefore, you can do things that require less maintenance. And, and we mentioned the neural networks. They're great at, at doing things that um, you really don't know what the connections are in the middle of the black box, but it just works. Uh, whereas machine learning is a little bit more uh, of a direct sort of path and looking at uh, different data that you have. You have a training data set, and usually you can see pretty clearly uh, how, the, how the pattern is emerging within the, the actual data set. So we're going to talk about several ways of approaching this, but natural language processing is is sort of the, the ability to take human language, which has an inherent structure, subject, verb, object, et cetera, and make use of that and to then infer meaning off of data sets and then to basically try to read real language. And you see that a lot in multiple applications like uh, voice uh, recognition is really just taking voice, turning it into text, and then understanding it via multiple means underneath the hood. But we're going to see the uses of NLP when it comes to contract X mining and some others coming up. So, you know, in a very simple way, and I'll, I'll leave you with this thought, I like to think of machine learning, first of all, as answering what I'll call high impact questions. So let's start with the high impact question we're trying to answer. And humans have generally done that in the past. And now we can have a machine that does that for us or partially does that for us, thereby eliminating the amount of human labor required to answer that high impact question. And we'll get into some of those high impact questions um, in supply chain and in purchase services in a moment. And, and Chris, I mean, you, you already spoke about your time at, at GE Healthcare, but I mean, maybe just what are some of the biggest use cases that you see in, in healthcare today? Like, I mean, we have a great one here at, at Premier with Stanson Health, um, but, but in terms of the kind of broad scope, what are the biggest? That's a gigantic question. I, I'll, I'll give you my personal experience, um, and then perhaps Daniel can piggyback off this. So one, one of the really cool examples that while I was at uh, GE Healthcare uh, at a group called Omnix, so we were taking slides that were basically tissue that haven't really changed since the Civil War. I mean, people would take these slides, look at a microscope, and make a diagnosis, typically by a pathologist, an anatomic pathologist. And that had been done already with radiology images. So like who does film today, right? You go get a, you get an image, the machine uh, collects the image, and then a radiologist will look at it. Well, really what they're trying to do is look for patterns and certain patterns in the image will yield a diagnosis. Well, if you look at anatomic pathology, 
the uh, images are 100 times more dense than a radiological image because there's just much more information there. So how do you diagnose that? So at the time, there were different applications made. One of the more interesting applications was uh, the company used technology that was developed by the government to look for license plates and other images in a in spy satellite. So uh, if you think about it, a spy satellite collects a lot of information in an image, and you're looking for specific things in that image. It's sort of the proverbial needle in a haystack. In this case, you're trying to find evidence of cancer within a large uh, you know, pathology image that could have different stains and different things that indicate things. So we, the company applied a lot of that same technology to look at the diagnosis of image of, of, of disease states. And what you find is that um, pathologists many times didn't agree with one another, right? So if you asked a whole bunch of different pathologists, and it's particularly true when it comes to subspecialties like neuropathology, where you're looking at brain tissue or pediatric neuropathology. So when you start getting down to those really esoteric places, a machine learning algorithm that could look for tissue or look for patterns of cancer is really beneficial because now you're getting a much more consistent diagnosis uh, versus one that's highly variable. And the better the technology gets, the better the diagnosis um, um, uh, you know, occurs. And sometimes it's not the exact diagnosis, but rather it helps the pathologist to look and pay attention to areas of attention that they otherwise may have missed. So that's, that's, that's part human, part um, computer, almost like a cyborg kind of approach to, to doing this. So that's just one, I could talk about a whole bunch of other applications, but that's just one interesting non-supply chain one that I have. Daniel, what would you like to uh, add to that? Uh, thank you. Uh, I'd actually love to continue right along the same lines that you were discussing. Uh, as I also mentioned, your exact use case is one of the most easy to imagine and also I think potentially exciting things as it relates to AI, machine learning, what have you, in the medical industry. Not only are we going to be able to, with a high degree of certainty, understand that this slide is yes or no for a melanoma, yes or no for a abnormal, you know, pattern of cells, whatever it happens to be. Uh, we also, as a species, don't like to give up control completely. So these systems are not necessarily even being designed to completely supplant people. They are being made to augment the capabilities of people because people are fallible and people only have so many hours of the day that they're willing to look at something and the longer that they're looking at more and more slides the more that is going to slip a computer can do this all day long and it can also look at every slide that there's ever been as long as they're made available to it so not only can you have these very advanced systems that are going to be highly accurate but then you can feed the most information that is necessary to the doctors, to the medical staff, to whomever, to help enable decisions that are going to lead to better outcomes. And that's what it's really all about. It's helping people do things faster, do things better, and do them more. Um, outside of slides and so on, getting a little closer to the supply chain side of things and procurement and so on, the medical industry does not need anyone telling it that it is inefficient and that it is this behemoth uh, but even the largest of ships can be steered and to intelligently help steer something just a couple of degrees off in the right direction can equate to humongous savings for everybody from insurance providers to hospitals to the people providing and receiving care. 
So and, that's and where Mickey, I maybe I can go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, one other example. I mean, just it's related to Premier is an acquisition that was done. I think about a year before us uh, at at uh, MedPricer Stanson Health. I always thought that what they were doing was pretty interesting. They look at EMRs or electronic medical records, the kind of thing that most people notice when your doctor's typing in your computer. All that language that's in there is not typical English language, but it's sort of medical speak language. So you have to sort of be able to understand that. And once you understand that, there's some really interesting things you could start to determine. So Stanson looks for uh, the patterns in that information to look for uh, ways to um, help look for, for instance, specific diagnosis patterns that may exist or been missed or uh, look for certain billing patterns and other interesting things. So once you have that information that's collected, uh, you almost have like the exhaust effect. We're going to talk about that, I think, a little bit, that information many times just the exhaust of some other system, and then you can take use of that and add value to it that you otherwise didn't see. So that's an example of you made an investment in EMR, like Epic or Cerner or something. Now I can now add additional return on investment because I'm using a Stanson or I'm using some other system to answer some additional high impact questions on the same data I already have. That otherwise it would be almost impossible, like Daniel was saying, for a human to see all of that or just in some cases um, not economical for somebody to look at all that data on a regular basis. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of a good segue into looking a little bit at how we at Conductive and, and how AI can be used in the purchase services space. Um, so, so to that end, Chris, can you kind of give a high level of, of how Conductive leverages artificial intelligence for its customers? And then, uh, and then maybe, Daniel, you can jump in because you've worked on some of it now uh, for us as well. But it'd be good to, to start with you, Chris. Sure. Well, let me take it up one notch and let me talk about supply chain in general. And given the fact that I've been involved in supply chain now for mm, oh, well over 20 years, and I've been around at the early stages of creating electronic supply chain tools and technologies. The, the interesting thing is things really haven't changed radically since the late 90s, right? I call it, it's still sort of dumb database systems. Now, okay, they used to be on-premise and you'd enter information into a system and then that information would largely get taken from that same system by somebody else, perhaps in a workflow that's determined by the computer system. Then we moved it all to, then, then SaaS was the big word, ooh, SaaS. And then we moved to cloud, which is nothing more than sort of SaaS, really, just a new word. And now it's all on the cloud, but basically it's still a lot of the same I'm going to input data in and I'm going to get data out. So think of the big iron ERP systems that exist. I mean, who really likes entering information and getting it out of some system that's really hard to use? Because it, there's no thinking that's done in the middle. Humans are still relied upon to do the thinking, right? It's really just a data collection and workflow tool that it's mainly used for. So I think we're right now at the precipice of an entirely new S-curve, if you will, in the growth of supply chain. And, and new technologies that are being brought to bear. And I think what we're doing at Conductive is at the forefront of that thinking, right? And we're working on what I would consider one of the hardest areas of sourcing because everything in purchase services by is, is by default unstructured information, much more than a good, which a good, if you think about it, it has a part number, it has an engineering spec, you can define it by that, 
you have to also indicate that you have to ship it somewhere, what the volume is, who the supplier is, and you pretty much determine most of the information that's required to price it, ship it, et cetera. But when you juxtapose that with, let's say, uh, waste pickup or uh, elevator repair or something that has a whole bunch of variables, like which type of waste am I picking up? Am I picking up sharps? Am I picking up municipal? Am I picking up radiological? Where am I picking it up? Which state am I in? What regulations apply? How frequently am I picking up? Do I have you know, regulation? Or do I have rules around how, how many injuries I can have? Do I have rules around green requirements, et cetera? So all those variables have to be spelled out before you can even understand what the price and the SLA and whether you have a good deal or not or who the right supplier is. So when you think of all that, it's really complex. And it's hard to maybe understand all those details underneath it. You have to be an expert. So this starts looking a little bit, you know, kind of ironically like our diagnosis problems that we just talked about, where you need somebody who's an expert and has have to have seen a whole bunch of patterns. And now how do you apply that? So most of it's still done very manually today. That's what we see in the space. Or it's done by these old ERP systems. So when you think about what Conductive's trying to do, we're trying to say, how do we answer high-impact questions? Like, who should I... Who should I work with to fulfill my need for said category, whether it's elevator repair, et cetera? Are they doing a good job against the contract requirements do I have? You know, are they going to um, raise their price in the future? And should I be going to market right now to change that? Um, what other uh, quality uh, deliverables am I missing out on? Am I getting rebates, et cetera? There's a whole array of questions that come out. But one of the most fundamental ones, and the one we, we first started with our AI use, is what am I spending my money on? Who am I spending it with? And where is it going? The so-called, let me wrap my arms around my purchase service problem. So we apply um, machine learning in that space. So in other words, how do you take the input accounts payable data and the contract data sort of mash it together, look at the pattern and say, this supplier belongs in the elevator category. And once they're in the elevator category, what can you tell me about them? And then if I have a contract, can you read the contract and understand its terminology? When is it going to expire? What are some of the unique terms of it? And how do I sort of bring that all together to give our members and our customers a roadmap of what actions they should take without having to spend hours and hours and hours of labor doing it? So once you understand that front end, we'll then get to the sourcing back end. And, and I'm going to spend some more time on that later, but I want to give Daniel a chance to chime in on, on maybe some more detailed examples than I just gave. Well, and, and Daniel, maybe I'll, I'll prompt you here because, you know, luckily I know some of the stuff that you've, you've worked on. But, you know, typical, typical categorization problems for machine learning how many, you know, you're, you're categorizing into a, a bucket of a few, right? I mean, to do it well. And and what we're trying to do here at Conductive is say, hey, you know, when we get that AP file, we need to put that supplier into one of our 615 different categories. So how do you tackle a problem like that? And and kind of, you know, how did we break it down to, to make it more doable without giving away any secret sauce here? I'll try not to give too many of the ingredients to the sauce, other than you must start with a good tomato base. <laughs> Pause for laughter. Always, always. Always. Uh, no, so, <clears throat> uh, Christopher, you were actually really getting uh, right up against a lot of the cruxes of the problems, which comes down to what are the variables that you have to work with? 
Uh, and that's that's completely true. These machine learning models, uh, regardless of their type, whether it be something simple like logistic regression or you're using state-of-the-art BERT-type architectures for NLP, what you need to have are examples of your data and then features that are extracted from that. With BERT, those features are multi-hundred dimensional uh, vectors that are completely incomprehensible to a person. And that's a little closer to the black box that you were describing, but there are explainable aspects that you can include there. Regardless, when it comes to this automatic categorization problem, uh, Mickey, you mentioned 615 or more categories. That's a lot. Uh, many times you're looking for a binary decision. Is this about event A or not? Or is this uh, one of 10 different types of outcome? Uh, once you get up to a very, very large number of categories, the usual approaches start to become a little fuzzier, especially if there is not a large distinction between category one and category two. Um, and doubly so if each category doesn't have a lot of examples in it. So there are certain categories that Conductive has thousands upon thousands of examples of. There are tons of vendors that provide this service that we have information on. We can get text descriptions of those companies and learn about where they are and the kinds of services that they provide uh, and, and all of this metadata that you can then figure out, aha, it's category 115. But if category 115 and 116 are extremely similar to one another from the text perspective of the kinds of data that we have available, or even the non-text other meta variables, uh, that distinction might not be as well distinct. So there is a multi-tiered process that you can kind of uh, approach this with. And this is one of many solutions, the brute forces of which would be get a bunch of examples for every category and make sure that they are all super distinct from one another. But if you can't do that, uh, you can say these categories are conceptually similar. Let's see if we can make a categorizer that is going to tell you it's one of five categories instead of this one specific category. Because as long as it's going to be very accurate, you're going to reduce the amount of time that people who have to review this stuff anyways are going to have to spend doing any sort of correction, doing a sort of fine tuning. And the farther up that ladder you go, the, the more vague that might get. But perhaps you end up having enough data to cover all of your categories, even if some of those like leaf level bottom of the barrel categories might just have a few vendors that you've seen providing that kind of service in the past. Once you get really, really specific make it a little more vague, you can tell that everybody's going to belong to one of these larger buckets, and you're still saving a tremendous amount of time and increasing accuracy overall to help narrow the scope of people that you know are always going to be a part of this process. That's great insight and kind of goes back to your earlier point of, of augmenting humans versus, you know, necessarily taking everything from them with a particular function or a particular job. But maybe now we we start to look a little towards the future. So like Chris said, you know, the, the problem you were just describing, Daniel, is to get your arms around what you spend. But Chris, maybe now we get into the next piece of that, which is where else can these different technologies go in terms of helping the sourcing process and even more specifically, you know, in, in the services arena? 
Yeah, so if it, let's divide the world into three big buckets, right? Bucket one is what we largely we were just talking about, and that is how do I take in input data and determine where we are today and where we should go? The next bucket is sort of help me get there. In other words, help me source, help me create contracts, help me determine who the right suppliers are. And the third piece is how do you sort of maintain that and the period in between the next contract revision? In other words, how do I make sure that number one, my suppliers are performing against the contract Two, that my financial risks are not askew. In other words, how do you have like the three-way match equivalent in services that you do in goods? And, and I guess four related to the, the, the first element or the, the element I mentioned earlier. So we have risk, we have supplier performance, but then you have a set of quality dimensions, which really relate to are the end users who are consuming that service happy with what they're getting and are certain regulatory groups uh, getting what they need because we're dealing with patient care in a lot of cases. So if you look at those those other two buckets, and we'll focus on the sourcing and I'll focus on the retention, that's a lot of where our personal focus is. And the area I get probably most excited about is how do you automatically determine what your should cost should be for something that's in, in inherently unstructured? Now, the beauty of this is if you look at waste management, for example, there are certain cost drivers. I mean, it's not an infinite number of variables. There are certain variables that, back to what Daniel was saying, uh, using multiple ways of uh, multiple uh, methodologies and algorithms, you can actually associate and say that get, these are the most predictive variables for cost or price. And if you vary these in these dimensions, you could start creating what the cost curve looks like in a more complex situation. And one of the best examples I can use of is like TrueCar, which is a tool that you can use to price out a new car by moving little levers and it draws a histogram. And the histogram gives you an idea of like worst cost, mean cost, you know, best cost. You could think of it as, as the different uh, elements of a, of a normal curve. Well, what, we wanna do the same thing when it comes to services. And we wanna be able to incorporate pricing from our GPO member, supplier members along with requirements from our buyers so that we can do that matching much more automatically. That allows you to do benchmarking, but it also allows you to clear a price much more rapidly. And that's, that's, like, that's like magical stuff. You know, that's where you want to get to. You want to, you want to be able to get to the point where you look at it and you say, how the heck do they do that? And there's a box, it does something, and it does it so much better than a human could that you need to use it and you can spend your time thinking about other things other than running a road RFP or running all the things that are manually intensive today. And then on the other side, and then I'll, I'll turn it over. One other area that I get excited about is, is contract auditing. So when you think about it right now, when a supplier presents a, a, an invoice and you have certain key performance indicators, you really don't know whether your your contract's being performed against, right? You don't know if the supplier's overbilling you. You don't know if they're taking liberties with things. And it's a little bit of taken on faith. And we've had a lot of our members who say, when I did a manual audit, I found all these issues. Well, they're only doing the manual audit because it's really hard to do and you have to, you do it by inspection. So why are we doing it that way? Why don't we do it in a continuous form so that we can understand what's in those contracts, whether they're being adhered to. And then the final piece, of course, is the three-way match idea, which is how do you take an invoice, match it to the delivery of the service, uh, and then ensure that payment should be made. And today that's 
not done very well in healthcare because most of services aren't delivered against a PO. And on top of it, um, many times the end users don't indicate whether they even got the service or whether it adhered to the requirements of the contract because the end users don't know what the contract contains. All they know is, is you know, uh, Sally or Johnny came here to repair my, you know, the plumbing and they did a good job of it, but they don't know what the pricing and the terms and the fact that they should have come during the day because it was triple booked at night. And they came at night because they, you know, it's just, there's all those other things which dovetails back to the auditing piece. So if you think about it, those are the three areas that we get pretty excited about. There's many others, but how do you do that sort of automatic um, price discovery, terms discovery, SLA discovery? And then how do you think about the three-way match and how do you think about the contract auditing? Those, those are three areas that I think can really uh, benefit from the machine learning work that, that Daniel's doing today and the team. Daniel, as a, as a man in the weeds, you know, working on this day to day, I mean, anything to add to, to, to what Chris said there? Anything that gets you excited out of what you see, you know, as you literally have your hands on all these different data sources? I just want to know what's going to be done. What do you think, Daniel? Next week? <laughs> It'll be done by next week. Whatever it is, always one week away. Um, no, so you reached... Uh, a lot of really, really interesting points in there, and uh, we'll be here all day, which I don't think we have enough tape in the recorder. We're using tape? Okay, yes, yes I'm getting a nod. So. Yeah, so. Um, so we don't have enough to unfortunately touch on all of them, but I think one that's that's really definitely worth digging into is, is that pricing that you mentioned. Uh, pricing, if you really think about it, is it's somewhat made up. Like, you know a lot of what your your costs are, and you, frankly, I mean, in my mind, you know, maybe as a CEO there, you wouldn't use the term made up, but you are making up like we want this amount of, uh, you know, return our investment. We're looking to hit these kinds of margins, but there's wiggle room. So you know what your, your fixed costs are. And if you're, uh, let's use the waste management example. I think that's a really, really great one. You're a waste management company. You know how much it's going to be in terms of just your static uh, maintenance on your vehicles. You know how much it's going to cost for the people to use them, and they're going to be working the same number of days a week regardless, and you've got fuel costs already figured out. These are all variables that you can plug into a model. But then beyond that, these same companies are going to be working against others to provide roughly or sometimes even entirely the same services. And so if you want to be competitive in your space, it's important to know not just what you cost, but what others cost. Am I going to, where am I going to fit on that histogram? And similarly, the vendors knowing what they can do. The other side of the equation is the people using these services. Let's say you're a hospital that is looking for a waste management company. You've got 10 different choices and you can start digging into the contracts and finding out what the, the specific differences are. But for X amount of waste over Y number of days, you've got that histogram. Uh, looking at what that pricing curve is, is just, it enables people. And I think that's really the joy of, of this machine learning application that we're describing here is you enable both the people providing services and the people getting the services to understand more of what it is that they're going to get. And, and that helps connect people. I know it seems a bit cheesy, but I, I truly, truly believe that. Um, and then 
we can, of course, get into all of the contract extraction type stuff because everyone is going to provide the same thing very slightly differently. Well, that's great. And unfortunately, that's that's the time we have for today. I think there is a uh, enough content here for a part two uh, at some point here in the future. But any any parting thoughts, Chris or Daniel, before we have to sign off completely? Well, I think that Daniel has the best radio voice I've ever heard, and there might Agreed. be a spot for him in marketing as well. But uh, <laughs> you're too. No, I, I really enjoy. I really enjoyed this. Um, it's. Uh, I get excited about applying technology. Uh, that's cut. That that's. Not, I wouldn't say it's even cutting edge right now. It's mainstream more 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 than what you see to, to new problems that can make a significant impact in an industry that can really benefit. And I think healthcare is certainly an area that we all know, we all, we all run into it, right? We all have to go to the uh, healthcare providers. We all know that our, um, you know, our premiums are going up and we can benefit individually. So I think it's a great mission to have uh, in what we do. And a lot of times supply chain and particularly services is often overlooked as one of the most significant cost drivers that exist in healthcare. So by using this technology, we think that one, we can alleviate some of the staffing crunches that you run into in, in, in sourcing. You can improve the amount of domain knowledge available and you can speed up the cycle time. And as Daniel so, so aptly put, you can bring together buyers and suppliers together in a more transparent way that works for both parties. And I think that's, that's a great mission to have. Love that. Yeah, I don't think you can say it much better than that. And, and that's really our focus here at Conductive. Um, so with that, I will say thank you to Daniel and Chris for joining us here today. Like I said, we might have to get a part two on the books to, to keep this going. And uh, if any of you listening are interested in, in learning a little more about what we're doing in, in purchase services and specifically with this technology, you can get in touch with us by visiting our website at conductive.com. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank great. you. Thanks, Daniel.